Uh, turn with me uh, to the scripture in the book of Revelations, chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 12 to 17. Uh, hear then the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Pergamon write, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, you who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, that there are food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teachings of Nicolaitans, Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord, and we say, Do you know why we say thanks be to God? Because God's word is powerful. God's word is encouraging. God's word is instructive. God's word is often used to convict us. God's word is transformational. And so that's why we say thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, as I uh, continue our series on being a church that God wants us to be, I share with you uh, over this uh, several months that we don't tell God what kind of church we want to be and say, say to the Lord, this is what we want. No, God tells us what kind of church we should be. And our role is to follow him and obey him, be the church that he wants us to be. And as I shared with you before, being a church of God, God is always interested in reaching out to the hearts of people. God is interested and uses many different ways to reach out to people to come to a relationship with him. And so in this midst, you will be attacked. If I was Satan... I'll make sure that you will not believe. I'll make sure that those who are believers will be on the bookshelf for God. And I'll make sure that you'll be as hypocritical as you can be so people will be turned off by you. And this is what we call spiritual warfare. And, and what the Bible teaches us is be aware of this. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So keep watching and praying that we don't enter that. And I share with you things that really matters to God. Uh, one is people of faith who, who express their love. The other part is being a new creation. And then a, uh, a church that is committed to keep God's command. And then we got into the book of Revelations. Why are we going through the book of Revelation? It's not talked about too much. Uh, and the reason why we're going through it is the beginning two chapters, a uh, couple of chapters of Revelations, talks about churches. And John uh, is writing this uh, after he's exiled. First he was boiled in oil, he didn't die, they exiled him to the island of Patmos, and he's writing this book of Revelation. And the beginning of the book of Revelation God is speaking to John, especially Jesus, addressing seven churches. And the seven churches that John is writing about as a messenger writing the letters of Jesus to them 
is in a way talking to us as a church of what kind of church we should be, some characteristics, some elements that are necessary to be the church that God wants us to be. Do you want to be a church that God wants us to be? I would say absolutely. And so in this process, and do you know why? If you want to become, when you become a church that God wants us to be, God works with us in a very powerful way, in a very miraculous way, and just watch God work. It's amazing. Uh, people will come to the Lord. People will use you to do ministry to the needs of others. And so that's what we want to be. I pray for our church here. God did a miraculous work bringing us here as a, a building that seems to be impossible. But I'm praying, as I shared with our 30th year anniversary, that this church will be used for outreach, that you are the church. You're the people who participate with God and seeing God uses to see signs and wonders done through his power. Amen? So, uh, we started off with the first church, the church of Ephesus. It lacked their first love. They lacked their first passion. Last week, we talked about the church of Smyrna, who uh, went through a lot of suffering, and through suffering, they were persistent. They're steadfast. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, says, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And so this is the marks of the church. Now we're going to the third church, is the church of Pergamon, or Pergos. And uh, Jesus is uh, talking to John to write this on. This is a letter to the church of Pergamon. So let's look at verse 12. To the angel of the church of Pergamon. And so when he talks about the angel, it's, it's the leader, the messenger, the one who will take this letter to the church of Pergamon. Uh, probably the pastors uh, to the messengers. So the, uh, when he says the church of Pergamon, he says, Right, these are the words to him who has sharp, double-edged sword. So now when you think about sharp, double-edged sword, what is that in reference to? It's referring to Jesus is the sharp, double-edged uh, sword. There's a theologian by the name of Karl Barth. And he would say, Jesus is the word. Uh, he often looked at the Bible as a witness to, to, to the word. The Bible points to Jesus. So when you talk about the word, the words of the Bible is Jesus' words. And it is very powerful uh, when you start hearing the word of God. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 4, 14, 12. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. When you know the Word of God and you meditate on it and you use the Word of God, it's extremely powerful. Uh, it, it convicts the hearts. It changes people. It instructs people. And notice the reference to it is like a, a two-edged sword. And in the reference to the Word of God as being two-edged sword, it, it is used by Jesus to convict our hearts about our sinfulness. Sometimes we have what we call a sheer conscience. Like when you sear a cow with the, you know, with the mark, at first it hurts, but later it doesn't hurt anymore. It's just like going, taking a hot bath. You sense the hot bath, but over time it's comfortable. That's sometimes our attitude towards sin. You, you, it takes a lot of work to cross the first barrier, but after you pass the first barrier, Next time it's easier and easier and easier. 
And so Jesus is speaking to these people who have a seared conscience, and it's a sharp-edged sword to convict. And if you look at Revelation 19.15, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nation. So it's, in a way, it's a form of judgment. The word of God is speaking to this church in Pergamos, uh, a word of judgment. And here Jesus is introduced in verse 13 as the slayer of judgment. And so today, as we look at this uh, passage about the church of Pergamon, we want to look at how God works amidst all the evil, his judgment, and his call for us for consistency, consistent spiritual living. And so let's look at uh, uh, how God works amidst evil. Uh, if you think about Church of Pergamon, a lot of people in the Midwest or in uh, country, rural area would call it Hollywood or New York or Los Angeles. And they call this, oh, there's so much sinners there, you know. And, and in a way, that's what Pergamon was like. Uh, it was a city uh, which was about 100 miles from Ephesus. So Ephesus to Smyrna is 50 miles north. You go another 50 miles, uh, Pergamon is there. And it's a city that is uh, believed to be uh, built by Greek mythology. The son of Hercules built this uh, city, this huge city. And, and it was a center of Asia Minor. So it's modern-day Turkey. Uh, in the Roman Empire, Pergamon was the capital city of the East, Eastern Empire, Asia Minor area. And uh, the word Pergamon literally means parchment. Now, the reason why it was named parchment was this is the first city that invented parchment. And you know what parchment was used in the Old Testament times and the old times? It was used for writing. In fact, a lot of the original uh, biblical manuscripts are on parchment. And so that's what this city was known for. And the religion of this city had many types. Uh, if you talk about a lot of religions, there's different kinds of religions. The predominant religion of the day was uh, Greek mythology or Roman, Romans who, in, who adopted the Greek mythology, Roman mythology. And there were temples that were dedicated to goddesses and gods. One is the goddess of Athena. If you need a wisdom, you go to the temple of Athena to gain wisdom. And then there was the temple of Aesculapius. Now, you guys ever seen uh, medical school? They have this uh, pole with snakes looking at each other. Well, it comes from this uh, temple. And he was known as the god of healing. And a lot of the priests worked together uh, with uh, medical doctors. They had a medical school there. And uh, it was not like the regular medical school that you're used to, uh, which is scientific. It was connected with the Greek uh, mythological gods, especially Escalopticus, who was leading them. And so the priests would have a word, and they would tell the doctors what to prescribe. Uh, there were certain times where the priests would put people in a room when there's darkness. How many guys like snakes? Yucky, huh? Uh, I used to throw them, uh, uh, you know, like fake snakes at my sister when I used to get mad at her so she could yell. But uh, they, they, it's in darkness, and they, they, they let uh, non-venomous snakes go to you. And they believe that as snakes touch your body, you get healed. That's why they got the symbol uh, of the rod with snakes looking at each other. It's in respect to the god of Escalop 
Lapius, I don't know how to pronounce it right. And out of that, there was a famous doctor by the name of Dr. Galen. And he uh, is like second to, uh, you, you guys ever heard of Hippocratic Oath? Okay, uh, he was the premier doctor who talks about, you know, how you need to come in. People in medical school understand who, uh, about the Hippocratic Oath. And so here, Galen was there. And it was a weird ritual of uh, what people did. And then there was a temple of Zeus where they worshiped the main god. Uh, in Greek mythology, there were many gods. And uh, the temple of Zeus, is, he's, the, he's the man. He's the king, king of all the gods. And people worshiped him. There was a huge temple within. And then there was a temple dedicated to uh, Dionysus, the god of drunkenness. Now, some of these temples had rituals where people had temple prostitutes come and they would have sex. And so these people, you're talking about this year, but the society we're living in is ungodly. As long as there's sin, whatever, whatever period you live in is ungodly. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about all these things that the Bible talks about. They would say, in the old times, people were conservative. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's the same as their sin. Think about going to a ritual where people are worshiping and then having orgies with the uh, priestess and with one another as a form of religious worship. It's sick, isn't it? It's sickening. And that's what was going on. And in the midst of that, there was also a temple dedicated to the Roman Empire, uh, to the emperor. He is known to be God. Now, Smyrna had a temple dedicated to the emperor, but here in Pergamos, this is the place, the center, the headquarters of emperor worship. And so people worship the emperor. And then in terms of education, Pergamos also had the second largest library in, in those times. You know, the first li largest library was Alexandria. Pergamos had 200,000 manuscripts. Now, you might say that's small. Uh, when you say manuscripts, they're handwritten books. It's a lot of work to write. You know, when I was going to school, I hated typing because it took so long to type two pages. Thank God for internet and Microsoft Word. You can do it instantaneously. But think about handwriting, how long it took to do this writing. And, and it, it was said that uh, Anthony, one of the... Uh, uh, the emperors uh, gave this uh, 200,000 uh, library to Cleopatra as a gift. Now, within all this context, the Christians in Pergamos really stick out, the Pergamon church. Uh, it was started, we don't know who started it. Uh, for sure, it's not Paul, but it is, there's a mention of, of him in Acts chapter 16. But here, amidst of all this, they, they had immense pressures. Not only uh, were their allegiance to God is totally against what the city of Pergamos advocated, they also had different ethos. And just like the church in Smyrna, there were religious persecution economically. If you're a Christian, uh, you're not supposed to get a job. In fact, uh, one of my friends uh, from elementary school uh, uh, sent me uh, uh, an email 
about the first non-Anglo uh, uh, NBA player. You know who that is? Take a guess. Is, do you think it, how many think it's African American? Non-white uh, NBA player. How many thinks is African American? Raise your hands. Hispanic. You know who he was? He was Japanese. He was the first guy to break the color barrier, you know. And uh, they were interviewing him because he was drafted by the New York Knicks and only played for about three or four games, and they cut him. And part of the reason why he was cut was, uh, even though he said it wasn't, it's, part of it is racism. Uh, but also when he got out of school, I mean, you can understand Japanese Americans here, when World War II began, uh, they were put in internment camps. People who were born here, uh, they were put into concentration camps. And if you ever escaped the internment camps, they shot you. There was machine guns on the post to make sure that you're in the internment camp. And so this guy uh, writes about how he was persecuted because of his ethnicity. Now, if you go back to the Church of Pergamos, you're discriminated because of your religion. This is miserable. And, and some of them were killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so if, let's read verse 13. I know where you live. That's what uh, you know, Jesus is saying. Where Satan has his throne. So when he talks about Satan's throne, what Jesus is saying about is, look, Hell is not Satan's throne. Hell is the place where he'll be imprisoned and judged. Satan's throne is on earth, and his headquarter is in Pergamum. That's his headquarters, because there's so much immorality going on. And in the name of a religion, some of this worship also had in these areas, in the, in the times of, of the Roman era, but also different parts of the world, they had child sacrifice. They had sexual abuse. It was very evil. But Pergamum was the center of it all. This is Satan's headquarters. And then he goes on here. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lived. So what, what he's saying is, look, you guys have missed the headquarters of Satan. You didn't renounce me. Most of you didn't deny me. And there was this martyr by the name of Antipas. He died because of my name. So in the times of, uh, of uh, John, when he was writing to the church of, Ant uh, you know, um, to Pergamon, Christians were persecuted. And, and if you disagreed with, uh, you know, what the common teachings of society said, you were killed. So Antipas was a victim. So he was murdered because of that. So let's take a step back on this. How does God work during these times? If you look at it in this text, God works by bringing a church at the throne of Satan. God works by converting people to him. Not people converting people, but it's God who's working. And if you look at modern times, UCLA, I mean, think about it. The things they teach you, or even in universities, it doesn't go along with what the Bible teaches. And you're told to shut up because you're being 
discriminatory against people who advocate same-sex marriage, people who advocate certain lifestyle. It's none of your business. Of course, it's none of my business. But if it affects my child, it is a, a big business. If it affects me, it's a big business. Would you like it if someone says, I'm transgender, but they do it anyhow, just say that so they can go to a woman's bathroom or a men's bathroom? That's what happened in Virginia. <laughs> this guy went into uh, a, a, a woman's bathroom and raped the girl. Would you like that? Where do we stand in terms of mutual respect? I'm not advocating you to say, you sinners go to hell, because the gospel is gospel about love, but love is also to disagree. We need to disagree in a loving way to say, this is not me. And what we need to do is you, the Church of Pergamon, have stood up to this. I appreciate you. And God does work even in the midst of all this in modern times. And God works in a very powerful way in bringing people into a relationship with him. You might say, no, 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 we hand over those people to evil sometimes, but God can work. I, I have a personal testimony from a friend of mine who became a Christian while being high on drugs. You know, he was so high. He, he got divorced from his wife. Life was breaking apart, got addicted to drugs while high on cocaine. He heard uh, this evangelist on TV says, you must know Jesus. On his own, he became a Christian. I believe in the power of God who can work to convert people amidst the evils of this world. So don't give up. God is at work. You believe that? He's working to convert people to a relationship with him, and he's working for good. Amidst all the evil you see. But there's a judgment to this church. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There's some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Uh, what Jesus is writing about is about a compromise that a lot of times Christians make. You know, I was uh, with one of my best friends, uh, and he was talking about how the church is now irrelevant many times for a lot of people. And, and the reason why it's so irrelevant is sometimes we just like to get praised. We don't want to be condemned. We don't want to be persecuted. In the old times, pastors used to be uh, members of you know, clubs, you know, the country club and so forth. Not anymore. And, and the reason why is there were some groups of people, if you look at, go back to the Church of Pergamon, there are some groups of people who didn't like the persecution, so they decided to compromise. What kind of compromise? One foot on this world, one foot on the other world. One foot on the Christian world, one foot on the non-Christian world, and I'll marry them both. And this is uh, in reference to Balaam. I'll give you kind of like a history of Balaam. He's a prophet for hire. He gets paid to, you know, do prophecies. And so Balak, uh, the one of the kings of Moab, wants to destroy the Israelites. He says, give me a prophecy against them. 
He tries three times, but the Lord forbids him three times. Then he comes up with an idea. And this is all mentioned in Numbers chapter 25 while the Israelites are wondering. And he goes, hey, you know what? Use the Moabite women. Have them entice the Israelite men to marry them. Now, on the surface, when you think about marriage, we think modern times, marriage is just marriage. You like someone. In the old times, marriage was also marrying their religion. So when the Israelites married these Moabite women, they also married their religion. And so they participated in Baal worship. They participated in orgies that was involved in this religion. They, they participated in eating food offered to idols. Now, how does this relate to the church in uh, Pergamon? Some Christians who was uncomfortable being a Christian in the church of Pergamon decided, hey, I can wed both. What I'll do is Sunday, I'll go and worship the Lord. But on Monday or Tuesday, oh, yeah, there's some uh, temple worship there, and there's some orgies there, and I'll, I'll participate in that. Oh, yeah, on Friday, after I do smoke group, oh, yeah, Friday night, there's a, oh, yeah, there's a place where I can have some food, but it's offered to these idols, and I worship those gods to eat those food. If you see this, God is really upset. I haven't guys like two-faced people. You know, we want friends who are loyal. We want relationships that people are loyal to us. God wants that. And God is upset because they're worshiping other gods. Uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, the first command is, you should have no other gods than me. And the church of Pergamon, what they did was they compromised. And that's why if you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for you do what, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know friendship of the world means enmity between God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, if you look at this verses very carefully, it doesn't mean, okay, you're a non-Christian, you stay away, I'm a Christian, I'm going to only hang out with Christians. That's not what it really means. What it's saying is this, do not embrace the teachings that are not of the Lord and make it center of your life while you're embracing Jesus as your Lord. Choose either God as your center or other. And here's these people who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior talking about transformational life, and yet they're embracing the ways of the world. Modern-day uh, uh, context, if you really think about it. Here he talks about Nicolaitans. And Nicholas uh, presumably was a deacon who was elected in the book of Acts chapter 6, along with Stephen, to help administer good and service to the community. And he went wayward. And the wayward thought was, you can also embrace the ways of the world and still be a Christian. Modern days. What does that really uh, mean to us right now? What it means is, you know the Bible is true about premarital sex. You know that the Bible is true about same-sex marriage. You know the Bible is true about sexuality. You know the Bible is true about greed, pride, jealousy, envy. You know it's true what the Bible teaches, but you do it anyhow. 
And that's what God is convicting us. Are you a church or are you a Christian who has compromised with the ways of the world? When I think about denominations, and I belong to a denomination, in my perspective, very liberal, uh, PCUSA. And the reason why I say that is because we're so culturally sensitive that some denominations will ordain homosexual pastors. Some denominations will say same-sex marriage is fine. And you've got to understand the concept of marriage from a biblical paradigm is between a male and a female. Now you might say, Pastor Sun, you're such a bigot. You're such a racist. You're so, you know what? Do whatever you might say, but I stand to this to be true. This is what the Bible teaches. And what God wants is amidst the persecutions that you get, he wants you to stand firm and say, that's not true. And the way you do it is very important. You're not a condemner, but you're the truth teller. Love does not rejoice in evil. Truth tellers know how to say things in love and ask God to give you wisdom how to say things in love. And what the perk, what Jesus is asking is, I want a life of consistency. How? Look at verse 16. Repent. Now, the word repent means to uh, turn around and go the other way. Okay, so uh, let's say I'm walking in a certain direction to uh, Pastor Dan, but God says, repent, so I turn around. No, not really. <laughs> but God says, go back to him, you know. Uh, repent is just turning around. Okay, And so when he says repent, don't just only confess. We're really good in confessing to God, I'm sorry. We're really good. Probably we said sorry a hundred times and maybe only obeyed maybe once or twice. Repent means not sorry. I really mean it. I'm going to turn around. I'm not going to do it anymore. And and that's what the, the first word that Jesus says is repent. And so what that means is repent from your judgmentalism. We have this human tendency when something goes wrong, who do you blame? Not me, but the other guy. When Adam was asked who sinned, Eve maybe do it. We don't take responsibility for our sins. We need to take responsibility for what we do wrong, repent. We need, to, we need to turn around from the things that we do wrong. Repent. And then he says this. Listen. Verse 17. Whoever has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God is speaking to us. We need to listen to what God is saying. And when God says do this, not only individually, but as a church, we need to do what God is calling us to do. Maybe he'll be calling us to do things that you are not comfortable with by protesting against certain things that goes, that goes against the Bible. Maybe God might be calling you as a church to turn around from the things that you've been doing. As individuals, individuals make up the community. God might be speaking like that. And we need to listen and what is the result when we start listening, repenting and listening? Here he talks about in verse 17. To the one who is victorious, 
I will give some hidden manna. So when it talks about hidden manna, what we're talking about, the Bible has two forms of manna. One is physical food. Remember the Israelites, uh, when they were traveling in the wilderness, they're saying, where's our food? Manna came from heaven, like rain, right? And we call it food. But the term here is what we call food of God, the word of God. He will give you food, and you go, is it just the Bible? Yes, it's mainly from the Bible, but also God speaks through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. And you know, the word of God is encouraging. When God speaks, it's uplifting. When you're in sorrows, the word of God gives you this comfort. When you're uncertain about the future, the word of God works. And you know, uh, some of you uh, who are students here are taking finals. Don't worry about getting an A. Instead, just say, Lord, let me not be anxious. Let me have peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything with what? Prayer. So you can pray this way. God, give me a way. That's not going to work because everyone's praying for that. You say this. God, give me wisdom to get the questions that I need to do well. To glorify you. And, and he will give you peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I was uh, studying as a uh, student here at UCLA, by the way, yesterday was the best day I ever enjoyed. USC lost, UCLA basketball won the day before, and the football team won. Amen? <laughs> Go Bruins, yeah? Well, anyhow, I used to take uh, political science classes because it's 100% finals. I love 100% finals. But unfortunately, uh, on this exam, I remember not being ready for it. And I only had a week to go. And, I, I, and God told me this verse, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. So instead of worrying, I told the Lord, help me study the right thing. Help me study the right thing. And I just started analyzing. When, oh, Professor you know, lectured on this three, four times. Probably this is a, a test question. And so, and so, and so. As I took the test, although I didn't study other material, I studied just the right thing. God will help you in doing that. And don't blame God if you didn't, because you, you might say, well, I, I asked you to study the right thing. Well, your responsibility is important too. You got to study everything. You have to rely on the grace of God. Amen. Okay. And, and so, you know, that's how God works. And so, a lot of the word of God speaks to you. It encourages you. It lifts you up. And then it talks about white stones. Now, what is this white stones that Jesus is talking about? Some say the white stone is similar to the one of the breastplate of the high priest called the Urim and Durim, by which the high priest could determine the will of God. And so, it means to give you the stone which can determine his will. Or... Some look at it as simply like a diamond. It's given to you something that is precious, like eternal life. But from the historical context, when it talks about white stone, it's during the times of uh, Pergamum, uh, the people would uh, enter a contest. And as a reward, part of the reward, especially like athletic events, not only do they get a wreath, they will get a white stone with their name written on it. And the reason why that was so important was, here was your ticket to come to a VIP event, uh, like a presidential inauguration, 
a special banquet. And, and what Jesus is saying is, look, if you listen to me, you repent, you listen to me, and you be obedient, I'm going to give you this reward, manna, that satisfies your soul, and a special place where you're at the banquet table with me, the fellowship of God. You know, it's so powerful about fellowship of God. It's so comforting to know, especially when you're in difficult times, that God is there comforting you. It's so, so encouraging to know that someone's guiding you and you don't need to be anxious about tomorrow. You know, the Bible says this, do not worry about tomorrow because today has enough problems of its own. Whoever lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give you wisdom amidst all his trials. The Bible talks about how to encourage one another. Let the word of God speak, the manner of God speak to you and you'll have great reward. And this is what we, I summarize it as joyful, satisfactory fellowship with God where I hear his words of encouragement and where I'm always invited to his banqueting table. Would you like that? I would love that. And that's the letter that Jesus wrote to the church of Pergamum. And the question is for us. Are we spending time repenting? Are we spending time listening? Are we spending time reading the manna, the word of God coming to us. There's a difference between just having quiet time versus word of God. Let the word of God soak in your heart. Meditate on it day and night. The word of God is powerful. It's sharper than two-edged sword. The word of God leads. You know, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. You know what it's in reference to? The word of God. Is esteeming the word of God to be true and powerful, to be relevant in our lives. Let the word of God speak to you. Listen to the word of God. My sheep hear my voice. It will transform you. And so I am praying that we as a church listen to the word of God and be transformed by it. And someone was asked, so why are you staying at this liberal church, PCUSA? I feel like we're a prophet proclaiming the word of God to say this is what the word of God says. I feel that we are a church that's prophetic. And I do pray this denomination where people who started Campus Crusade, Bill Bright, J. Christy Wilson who started InterVarsity, Ralph Winner who started uh, U.S. Center for World Mission, presidents of Gordon Conwell, Scott Sunquist. They're all part of PCUSA. What is our mission? To proclaim prophetically our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not here to put down people. We're here to proclaim the truth. And the truth is, Jesus loves you. God wants a relationship with you. And God will always encourage you through his word. You believe that? let us pray.